The most forward-looking companies I've seen have started to bring fraud teams together with cybersecurity, together with identity, and they have a business owner, like the part, the GM that owns the business, and they might be like a chief digital officer, or it might be a GM of the business. And they're thinking about how all these things come together and having common, common goals and outcomes that they're looking for. Welcome to another episode of the Defender's Advantage Frontline Stories. I'm Carrie Major, your host, and joining me today is Mary Ritz from SIFT, which is a fraud platform. So thank you for joining me, Mary. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background, because we ran into each other in the world of cybersecurity, and now you work in fraud. So give us a little bit of background about you. I'm happy to. Yeah. So I started my career in cybersecurity about 20 years ago and I was doing penetration testing and I was an individual contributor in a few ways, uh, pen testing, doing some forensics, doing, I don't know, different kinds of work to look for security across networks. And then I shifted to building products and services to prevent attacks. And actually I, I kind of moved to like where the attacks were over time. But so I have a lot of experience with breach detection, um, hunt teams. And then I moved into the identity space because that was just a really unique place to start looking for threats. And I eventually ran an identity platform from a product perspective. And while I was there, more and more, identity is a really good place to start looking at fraud. And so we started building more fraud tech and identity. And that sort of led me to SIFT, where now I just focus on fraud all day. So uniquely, I've seen the world of cybersecurity, identity to access, and fraud. And I see a lot of ways they could work better together and also a lot of ways where they are prevented from working better together. Yeah. I mean, right now they seem like three very disjointed functions within organizations. And so, you know, what are the, what makes them different from each other? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, like the first most obvious difference is you're right. They sit in different organizational structures. So you have different groups looking at different tooling, they have different KPIs and measures and goals. And so it's just different mindsets. So they're not set up together. But when you think about the problems that they're trying to attack, um, they're different in a few ways. Um, You know, fraud versus cyber fraud is really probabilistic versus deterministic. So you end up knowingly letting in some fraud because you have to enable the business. So you kind of think about bad stuff in, in different ways. It's not quite as explainable always. And the philosophy and mindset is another place they're different. Fraud is very operational. It has its roots in finance or operations, which is different from cybersecurity. Identity is kind of the one that sits in the middle because identity, if you think about cybersecurity, a lot of it is focused on protecting the enterprise. And fraud is really uh, focused on protecting like the front end, like users from maliciously uh, putting in an order. And identity sits in the middle. It protects both your workforce employees on the enterprise side, and it also protects uh, and enables the consumer identities uh, where the fraud happens. So uh, identities kind of sits in the middle there. Well, and, you know, you have crossed these three different, you know, pillars, but is that traditional that, um, you know, somebody with cybersecurity knowledge can easily transition to identity and fraud? Or did you find that kind of entering a new world? Well, you know, it's a funny story. When I when I first moved from cyber to identity, that was the first time I made a, a move to an adjacent space. And I, I was a little bit egotistical and thinking, 
I've hacked into banks, I've patented things, how hard could this identity space be? And then I got into identity and just thought, holy, holy smokes, I was not prepared for how broad and how deep and how nuanced this is. And in fact, there's people that have worked in identity for 20 years and they call them the identity. And I just felt like I was in over my head, but, but it was close enough where I could pick it up, but it took time. And then similarly, when I went into fraud, I knew I had been working in fraud. So I felt like I kind of understood the concepts. And then when I got into fraud, what I was surprised at was two things. The kind of fraud I was doing in identity, I now think of as like baby fraud, <laughs> just a <laughs> tiny piece of it. Uh, the other thing I didn't, uh, I underestimated is the world of payments behind fraud and how much I needed to understand payments, networks, visa issuers, chargebacks. So just like you know, the whole payments e-commerce side of the world in order to solve fraud, you really have to understand that ecosystem. So anytime you make a move, you're learning an entirely new ecosystem, new acronyms, there's new (laughs) organizations. Uh, But foundationally, I feel like the principles are very similar. Everybody's trying to protect humanity so that we can survive on the digital world. So like we're all trying to make this digital world work and have everybody be safe and able to do all of the things online. And a lot of the ways we look for bad stuff is kind of similar. And, and I do believe that the world would be safer, the digital world would be safer if these three disciplines would start coming closer together. Well, and, and our listeners are probably more uh, you know, up to speed on cybersecurity. So can you give us a fraud 101? Because you know, if I think about fraud, I think, oh no, there was a a bad charge on my credit card. I'm going to call the company and say that wasn't me. So that's, you know, the consumer view of it. That's all I see. So can you give us the 101 of fraud? Yeah, there's all kinds of fraud. So the first thing I'll say is there's usually we think about like payments fraud, which is uh, somebody stole your credit card and made an order online. And then you saw a transaction on your credit card and you disputed it. So that does happen. There's different kinds of fraud where they might try and steal your loyalty points or your gift cards. Uh, There's fraud in totally other areas, which is like text, spam, and scam. So all of the like texts that you would see on a marketplace to try and bump you off the marketplace to buy something off-brand or to avoid the marketplace fees. There's promotions fraud. You know, you get like 10 bucks off if you just signed up. So I'm going to try and figure out how to keep signing up every day. There's different kind of merchant fraud. So you can like build a fake merchant and have fake customers to do money laundering. We've seen dating site scams. So, you know, a lot of the catfishing. In fact, one of uh, the customers we talked to on the dating site, I think 80% of the new profiles were fake profiles. So a lot, a lot of scams there. Um, and then there's new scams for, uh, there's like new payment ways, like buy once, pay in store we see unique things happening with crypto. So yeah, it's there. When you start digging in, there's so many ways to be fraudy um, outside of just stealing your credit card and trying to buy something, you know, with a stolen credit card. Yeah. I mean, we, we always say where there's money, there's crime. Right. And so, you know, it sounds like, you know, fraud obviously is tied to money, but do you also work in anything in fraud where it's stealing personal data? Or is it really focused on money? What's interesting about fraud is like if you're in the cybersecurity world and you're trying to think about the differences, one difference is this personal data aspect. So I am, I may get exposed to it and I may be going on the dark web to get your credentials. But like generally when a fraud attack happens, there's not 
personal, personally identifiable data that's been compromised. So it doesn't have to be reported. So for an example, this last Black Friday of 2022, it appears there was a huge coordinated fraud attack across lots of retailers and lots of fraud vendors. But we'll never know because nobody needed to report it. And like nobody came in to do the work to understand who did this, what was their MO, like where did it source from? So the, the data sharing doesn't happen. The reporting doesn't happen. It happens a little bit, like certainly all these vendors and merchants talk to each other, but you're just not at the level of maturity and sophistication we see when there's a nation state attack on the cybersecurity side where you you might get a full report. If it's the the biggest attack you've ever seen and the most advanced, you would, you would kind of get a full report that gave you more information. We won't see this on the fraud side with what happened this, you know, this Black Friday. So in, in the cybersecurity world, it's all about, you know, who are the threats? Who are the threat actors? What are their TTPs? How are they coming after you? But, you know, from what you're saying, it sounds like that's so not that fraud. hasn't happened in the same level of maturity and fraud, which is makes me really excited about the fraud world because I can see how fraud could be better. So if we overlay that kind of threat intelligence sharing in a really mature way, and we did more investigations together, had more communities. So actually, I see so much potential. It's like cybersecurity got mature first. Fraud's been around just as long, but it it didn't get mature in that way. But I see it coming, right? Like, it only makes sense that that would be the right direction. Though fraud, there's all different kinds of fraudy things and and indicators of compromise in different ways fraud attacks are happening. There is a notion of a fraud kill chain. Um, it doesn't completely make sense, and it's not as sophisticated as the cyber kill chain. Right. And you, you mentioned before that fraud is very operational, maybe you know good at processes, but not good at the, what are the actual threats coming at? Yeah, that's not the background. That's not the co- traditional background of the fraud teams. They came out of operations where they learned to do things really efficiently, or they came out of finance. And the goal with fraud was just to keep your losses under a certain percentage rate. Wow. And so, you know, do you see that sort of thinking continuing or is, you know, in cybersecurity, it's all about what can we do to disrupt this attack lifecycle? It's a lot of disruptive thinking. Is that in fraud? I think that's coming to fraud. And here's why. It took a little longer, but... I think it's following the evolution of what's happening with digital transformation. So like in the last 20 years, if you're really going to have a differentiated thriving business, you've got to be online and you're going to differentiate on your customer experience. And we've been trained on what good looks like. If you're too heavy handed with fraud, you impact customer experience because you're adding friction. You're adding them, asking them more information, asking them to log in. And so like, it's a matter of business. Also, you might reject orders that are good orders. Like, so you're, you're giving up money. And so for those reasons, I, I believe fraud is shifting more and it has been, it's not just today, but it has been shifting more to how do we enable business? How do we enable user experience versus just control your fraud rate? Like how do I generate more revenue for you by having this great experience? And also the most forward looking companies I've seen have started to bring fraud teams together with cybersecurity, together with identity and they have a business owner, like the per- the GM that owns the business, and they might be like a chief digital officer, or it might be a GM of the business. And they're thinking about how all these things come together and having common common goals and outcomes that they're looking for. Yeah, that that's great to hear. And it's, you know, 
I've seen it twice. I'll say I've seen it like twice. So it's not like (laughs) (laughs) not wide reaching just quite yet, but I mean, ultimately all of these things are enabling the business. I mean, when we started in cybersecurity, you know, a couple of years ago, let's, let's, let's say a couple decades ago, the, you know, cybersecurity reported to IT teams. The whole purpose was just keep the systems up. Yes. And that was enabling the business. Now it's the, wow, we have disruptive attacks yeah. that are affecting business. So I've, I've seen cybersecurity mature that way. Yeah. It's great to hear that at least two companies are, you know, starting to think about bringing. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I saw cybersecurity mature first. And then I saw identity really mature and be like a board level conversation. And I haven't seen fraud hit that level of board level conversation, but I think it's coming next. I think it's the third wave and a natural third wave. Is it, does it only affect financial industry and retail? Yeah. So it, there's kind of two categories of where it impacts. So you're kind of thinking about anywhere there's some form of payment happening in the digital space. So that can be digital goods and services, e-commerce, fintech, that's a primary area. And then you're also looking at marketplaces where data content reviews get shared. That is other places to look for fraud. Where you don't see it so much is B2B at an enterprise level. Because if you're selling enterprise software to the Fortune 5000, you've got like a procurement invoicing engine that's not the kind of volume that you see for like, like if you're a food delivery service. And so those, I think, of course, you look for fraud and money laundering, but just in, in a different way. You don't need like massive machine learning for that. And are the the attackers committing fraud? Is it onesie, twosie, somebody charging a, I don't know, Amazon Prime subscription to my credit card? Is it is it little players or are you seeing any big players? I, th- I think there's some really big players. And in fact, I was just going to pull up the number. I think it like if you look at all the fraud around the globe. And if you actually, if you just limit it to e-commerce, I think it's $48 billion a year. So it's huge. If it was to be, if you were to rank the top most profitable companies in the world, I think it would rank number eight, like $48 billion in profit. So it's a big business, but you see similar to cybersecurity. So you see a range, like there's definitely just like groups that focus on fraud and they make a lot of money. Um, but you also see the democratization of all the fraud tools. And so the things that you used to have to go to the deep, dark web for much more easier to take advantage of. So much easier to get like lists of credentials, much easier to rent the OTP bot stuff. So like Carrie, I got your credentials, but you had the OTP that goes to your phone that gives you the code that you type in. There's little bots that'll like trick you out of that. And you, you can rent those for like 40 bucks a month. So there's just this democratization of the pieces So you see a spread, but I see things that are pretty coordinated. Like the fraudsters like had a plan. They started attacking payments. They got blocked. They moved to account takeover in one way. If they get blocked there, then they're moving to fake accounts or born bad account, like just generating a bunch of fake accounts. So they're moving around more, but you, and, and you'll see like, there'll be new tactics that work really well. And so then fraudsters will like pounce on those. So similar to cybersecurity, it's a moving target. And are there controls like we see in cybersecurity? Like how do you catch this fraud besides me calling my credit company and saying, oh, somebody charged $20, which I'm, I was kind of assuming credit card companies don't really care about. What I'm impressed with with fraud is the 
it, because it happens at such massive scale, you actually, so the way it's been best combated is with massive like machine learning, data science, AI, ML. And I, I've seen the best AI, ML detection engines that I've ever seen in fraud, which I think could be really interesting to cybersecurity. We have these engines that are really good at detecting bad in all kinds of nuanced ways. They are less explainable because the way we build explainability for like UEBA in cybersecurity wouldn't operate at scale. But the amount of data you see, like we see a trillion events per year, 2 billion unique users every three months or so. So it's just like the amount of data you have is so massive and really good at detecting um, bad. So that is something that I see fraud doing really well, that I've seen the cyber the cyber side sort of struggle to really nail. Well, in, in cyber folks, you know, one of our biggest problems is there's too much data. We can't handle it. So are there like a skills gap? Is there a hiring issue in the fraud detection and controls? Yeah. So everybody's trying to do more or less. So if you're on a fraud team, you know, uh, I service pretty large enterprises, um, but a lot of them just have two to, two or two to five fraud people. <laughs> and, some, and they might have some outsource to do some manual reviews. And then if you're a fraud vendor, you know, staffing really elite uh, machine learning skills is just incredibly expensive. But yeah, so there is a skills gap here as well. Um, but I do think the the approach to fraud has been always had to do with such massive scale. So we've gotten good at machine learning and a lot of automation. But the kind of the difference is you like knowingly let through a little bit of fraud. So you have like this tolerance in this gray area where like, I might let through 0.01% of fraud because net net, that's the best thing for my business. And that's the best balance. And going to zero fraud is just like way too expensive and provides too much friction. So you actually uh, accommodate a small bit of fraud and actually letting through a small bit of fraud in some ways helps you because you get that chargeback data. So when you carry go say, I didn't buy those shoes, that issues a chargeback we label the machine learning with that and then we just get smarter. So in some ways it can be a benefit to let through some because that's how you label and train the backend systems. Well, in, in cybersecurity, we're very concerned about catastrophic events, global events. Is that of concern in fraud or is that less of a thing that you see at this point? So the, the catastrophic events just look different, but they're still catastrophic. But the catastrophic events are... Uh, like with e-commerce, you think about 80% of your sales could be Black Friday. And if you don't have a good fraud system, you could just like get hit with a ton of fraud that time. Or if you added too much friction, you're losing a lot of business. So there's that kind of thing that can happen. But like if the fraud system goes down, you could still take those orders, but you might be taking a lot of fraud. But then the other the second kind of catastrophic thing that can happen, if you take too much fraud as an online vendor, Visa puts you in Visa jail. <laughs> and so they have, Visa has and MasterCard have limits on how much chargebacks they'll let you do. So if you're just constantly taking fraudulent orders, they'll say, hey, I'm putting you in this special category. And if you don't fix this within X amount of days, you will not be allowed to take credit cards anymore. And can you imagine trying to run an online business without being able to take any Visa credit cards, you know, you would go out of business. So it's a really heavy hammer. Is this something that large credit card companies, payments companies, are they helping the vendors or is it kind of like you're on your own, you're in jail? <laughs> Sorry. 
Well, I'll say there's a real power imbalance. They do try and help and they'll, they'll sell you services, but there's a huge power imbalance for sure. So they do have ways they can be helpful, but they control the power. Yeah. Well, okay. But we do see some alternate payments. You know, you see Zelle, you'll see new wallets, but the wallets are often have a credit card in them, but there's different payment options that are coming up. So maybe one day that changes, but for now they have an incredible amount of power. Well, this, it, this brings up the, the crypto conversation is how are you seeing crypto in the fraud space? How do you, so how do you they, identify crypto? Most fraud? Fraud, say, it's interesting. So uh, yeah, they have the most hostile environment and it makes sense. Like if you steal crypto, unlike if you had just maybe bought an airline ticket or a Taylor Swift ticket, you could revoke the ticket if it looked like it was fraudulent. But crypto, when it's gone, it's gone. That money's gone forever. Um, and there's less regulation, as we just learned with the FTX stuff that's just went down. So yeah, that just feels like the most hostile fraud landscape is in the crypto exchange market right now. And we're seeing a lot of abuse of crypto in the cybersecurity world as well. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for all of that. I got one final question for you. So if you could, with your knowledge of the three different businesses, cybersecurity, identity, fraud, what would you like to see happen in the future to bring these together? I mean, you, you mentioned a single use case, but beyond that, where how did they start? Yeah, I, I think that you know, it's hard to make big political, bureaucratic, organizational changes without a compelling reason. Um, so I would look to start with a single use case. And a use case that I love is account takeover. Yeah. Cyber has good tech for account takeover. Identity is a place where you can stop a lot of account takeover. And fraud is a huge vector. And we have really good machine learning signals. So we could put some common KPIs around that, like as a starting point. And then you could showcase how it was better together and how you aligned your tooling and your communication across the groups based on this use case and then grow from there. So I keep thinking about um, where would be a good starting point. It could be also bots. Bot detection is interesting in all three places. Um, but ATO, I think, is a more meaty area because bots kind of generic ATOs. You get more specific which kind of ATO attacks are we looking for? What's the outcome of the ATO attacks? How, do, how are we better together trying to attack them? Because if you had really strong identity technology, you reduce the threat landscape of ATO altogether, and then you could bring in the cyber and um, fraud sort of abilities to look for ATOs and block them. And, and once you do it once, then you can prove value to the business and hopefully expand yeah. to more and more yeah. users. You show you're a, a superhero. And ATO is just a huge vector, right? Like account being taken over impacts so many people. And so many, like, that's just such an important thing to shore up. It's not the only thing to shore up, but man, what if we dramatically reduce uh, the ATO threat landscape? That would be great. That would be progress, you know? Yeah. So that that's your wish for uh, 2023, it sounds like. Put a Santa for We'll see what happens. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. Thank you to our listeners out there. Again, this is the Defenders Advantage Frontline Stories, and uh, please join us for our next episode. Thank you, Mary. Thanks. Thanks.